Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Welcome to the season one finale episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode Sensory Abundance, or Why We Are Hooked on Musicals. This podcast is inspired by a course I teach on the history of the Broadway musical at the University of Washington School of Drama. And it is clear to me from the enrollment and the response to this class that young people today have a strong affinity and affection for musicals. And this is true of all kinds of young people. In my most recent class, of the 99 students that were enrolled in the course, only two of them were theater majors. The other 97 came from all over the campus, with the majority of them majoring in some kind of engineering program. So to me, it's obvious that this affinity for musicals is as widespread among Generation Z as it is among the millennials that came before them. For this, we can largely thank Howard Ashman, Alan Menken, and the Disney Renaissance. Both of those generations, the Millennials and the Gen Zs, grew up on those original Disney animated feature films, Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, The Lion King, and all of the imitations and offshoots, including the live stage versions that were inspired by them. This was important because these movies reintroduced and renormalized the concepts, language, devices, and format of the Broadway musical. the baker with his tray like always the same old bread and rolls to sell every morning just the same since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town good morning pal morning monsieur where are you off to the bookshop i just finished the most wonderful story about a beanstalk and an ogre and that's nice marie the baguettes hurry up look there she goes the girl is strange no for these young generations, the idea that stories would be told through music and dance and that characters would express their emotions, hopes, and desires through song seemed very natural to them, as it has for most generations throughout history, including baby boomers like Albert Evans and I, as you'll hear in just a few minutes. 
Really, I think it's only been the Gen X cohort that has struggled with this. For a number of reasons, musicals often seemed alien and ridiculous to many people in that generation, although certainly not all of them. Now, this is something I've never understood. To my mind, the conceits of musicals are no harder to accept than those of superhero movies or Star Wars or other sci-fi adventures. But many Gen Xers have had a very strong aversion to the form, and as a result, for a number of years, musicals fell out of fashion and got a bad name with the media and the culture at large. This shouldn't be too surprising, I guess. Theater overall has been pronounced dead or at least dying many times over the millennia, but it has always bounced back. In the 21st century, at least up to the time of the COVID shutdown, musicals have been in what some have called a second golden age, or maybe a platinum age. And this is in terms of popularity, cultural acceptance, influence, and visibility. This resurgence has included record-breaking attendance of live Broadway musicals in New York, on tour across America, in the West End, and around the world, as well as a resurgence in movie musicals, TV musicals, and even most recently, TikTok-created musicals. I've spent at least some part of every day since I was about five years old or so thinking about Broadway musicals, including my entire 40-year professional career, which has been entirely focused on performing, staging, producing, writing, shaping, guiding, teaching, and spreading my passion for Broadway musicals. Now, it would not be unreasonable to ask the question, why? Why do musicals matter to the point where you would spend your entire life devoted to them? What is it about musicals that, for me at least, makes this a life well spent? I recently had the opportunity to talk about all of this with my frequent guest and co-host, Albert Evans. Here's some of that conversation. So hello, Albert. Hello, David. So glad we could get together today to sort of sum up this season that we've been through. Well, I think that's it's sort of valedictory, but there will be another season, so no tears. There will be. It's in the works already. It's absolutely in the works. Just like me, you've spent most of your career, most of your life, really, focused on Broadway musicals. You don't have to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) You think that's a a fair way to summarize the life of Albert Evans? I think it is, pretty much. Everything else has just been window dressing. And as I, you know, said a few minutes ago, it's reasonable for people to ask, why? Why would you do that? Why would you spend all that time focused on something that some people would think of as trivial as Broadway musicals? But I thought, let's start at the very beginning, as we've heard someone in the musical theater say before. And before we get to the why, let's look at the how and the when. Let's start with you, and then you can turn the tables on me. How did this come about? When did you get hooked on musicals and why? Let's go back to your earliest memories of of Broadway musicals. Cue the harp music. Well, I'm an Ohio boy. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, which is pretty much a musical theater desert. In fact, it's kind of an arts desert. There wasn't a lot of interest in the arts. Which I think is very different now. Oh, yeah. Oh, now it's a hotbed of all sorts of chicanery. But I guess it was from the Ed Sullivan shows. I grew up in the 50s. So I would see musicals on the Ed Sullivan shows. And I didn't quite understand what I was looking at. Like, who are these people and why are they you know, dressed like they're from medieval times or whatever. But I got used to that and I really looked forward to whenever they would do it because I could tell they weren't just singing a song. They were doing something else. And 
I guess what it really struck me was I was listening to the radio. There was a program on WMNI every week called The Best of Broadway, and they would play cast recordings, but the host would also, between the songs, he would read the liner notes that were always, you know, at that time, they were very erudite. They were written by people who really knew what was going on, like Charles Burr is a name I remember, wrote a lot of liner notes. And so I would, you know, listen to this. And I got hooked on that by accident. Just one day I was turning on the radio and I heard this fascinating music. It sounded like classical music, but yet I could tell that they were that it was supposed to be funny, that they were mocking what they were saying, or they were mocking the characters that they were playing. And it turned out to be the Ascot Gavotte from My Fair Lady. Every And how old are you at this point, do you think? I was probably maybe nine or ten, but I really didn't know what was going on until they finally said that was My Fair Lady, direct from Broadway. Then I put it together with the Ed Sullivan show. Oh, that's what I've been seeing. And the other main influence was my fifth grade teacher, Miss Schultz. And looking back on it now, I think she must have been an aspiring musical theater actress. She was probably in her early 20s, you know, just out of college, and she probably did shows in college. But I didn't know. I thought she was a grown-up who, for some reason, she had the cast album of The Music Man. And every day, if we were good, she would play a cut from The Music Man, and then she would read the scene because she has the script too. Then she would read the scene playing all of the characters. I guess she would do that before the song. She would lead into a song. That's enough for today. And so it was like, you know, a cliffhanger. (laughs) So then I just nagged my parents to get me the Music Man cast recording, and they did. And then I began to get some other cast recordings on my own. I just knew I wanted more and more of it. Songs that told a story and had characters and weren't just pop songs. So what about you, David? I know you lived in Cincinnati where there was a lot of theater. It was popular and you got you actually got touring shows and stuff. So what was your introduction? So for me, the the legend, the family lore, and I've tried to figure out how much of this is true, but the story is, is that my mother was taking myself and one of her friends and their kids to see Dumbo, and they went to the wrong movie theater, and we ended up seeing Gypsy instead. Here she is, boys! Here she is, world! Here's Rose! The movie of Gypsy with Rosalind Russell, which is not quite the same. And I've tried to figure this out. Uh, The movie of Gypsy came out in 1962. 
Now, I don't think we went to see it. We didn't go downtown. I don't think we saw it the first run. And of course, movies played for long periods of time back then. But the fact is, I ended up seeing Gypsy, the movie of Gypsy, when I was about four or five years old and became completely obsessed with it. And with Like You, I insisted on having the cast album of Gypsy. I remember that album so specifically. It is emblazoned in my head. It was, my, of course, my first exposure to that show, my first exposure to practically any show. And, of course, the attraction for me is there were kids in it. Yeah. It was a kids-in-show-business movie as far as a five-year-old is concerned. Absolutely. Extra! Extra! Hey, look at that! Once we got to, you know, the last 20 minutes or half an hour of the story, I'm sure I was much less interested in what was going on once it got to the adult. Mm -hmm. But it completely sucked me in. And, you know, to this day, it has remained one of my favorite musicals. And if you're going to expose a kid to a musical, you know, granted, the subject matter might be a a little problematic for some people, but the quality of that material, which I'm sure I didn't appreciate on any level at the moment, but it's, you know, it's all subliminal. We absorb Mm -hmm. these things. Children will listen, as is a good example of both you and I. So from that point on, I was... And it may have been I was already I was probably interested in this already, especially from movies on TV. When I was a little older, I would play that game of the TV guide would show up and you would sit and go through every page to see what movies were going to be on that week and circle them and make sure you got to watch, you know, Singing in the Rain, because it wasn't going to be on for another year if you didn't see it that time that came around. And sometimes it would be like 3.30 in the morning. You'd have to get up and see it. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to do that when I was 10, but when I got into high school, yes, I would Mm -hmm. stay up till and watch it at 2 in the morning on the Late Late Show or something. So I think the same kind of thing, the same idea of telling stories through music captivated me from the very, very beginning and has not let go of me yet. You talked about Cincinnati and that was a big city. We had road shows and a couple very influential things for me when I was a kid. Maybe I was like nine or 10. I don't really remember. The uh, national tour of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown came to town. I really don't think you have anything to worry about, Charlie Brown. After all, science has shown that a person's character isn't really established until he's at least five years old. But I am five. I'm more than five. Oh, Uh, well, (laughs) that's the way it goes. (laughs) And I went to see that, which I believe had pretty much the original off-Broadway cast in it. Uh And that's a show that is emblazoned in my memory. I remember exactly what it looked like. I remember the view from my seat to the stage.
know, it's one of the things I talk about a lot is this, um, the memories that musicals create. Musicals create memories that I think linger in our brain much longer than almost anything that ever happens to us. I know people who are in their 80s now and they saw the original production of You Name It, My Fair Lady or whatever. And they can remember, they have the visceral memory, not only in their mind, but in their bodies, of what that show was like. And what else do they remember from that year? Similarly, like You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, whatever year that was, that is emblazoned in my, in you know, it's part of me. It's become, I've absorbed that and it's become part of me. And, and so why is that? Why is it specifically musicals that, that have this effect on us, on people like us? I'm going to talk about that a little later in my sort of wrap up. Okay. But just as a preview of it, I think it's because the musicals hit us on so many different levels at the same time. I think that's it. There's such a sensory assault. <laughs> so much is going on. There's music and dancing and singing and set changes. I mean, it's just this kaleidoscope, you know, that you can't take it all in especially when you're a kid. That's exactly right. I do think it's the sensory, not overload, but... Uh, abundance. abundance. That's a great way of saying it. The sensory abundance of a musical impacts us in so many different ways and so many different levels that if it really works, we can't forget it. Right. I also say that's why it's so hard to sit through a bad show because mm -hmm. our whole physicality is participating in the show. And if the show flies, mm. we fly with it and we feel really good. If the show is just inert, we get exhausted by the end of the show because we've been physically willing it to be good. We've been trying to help. We've been doing our part to participate, which doesn't happen with television or a movie. If it's bad, it's just bad. And we just sit there and go, oh, this is boring. But it doesn't affect us on a physical level. No. And I think that's maybe why people who don't like going to the theater don't like going to the theater because they've never been to anything good. <laughs> they didn't go to things that really g gave them the they had to work too hard to to uh, at something that wasn't effective. It wasn't being done well. Right. Don't go away. Broadway Nation will be back with more sensory abundance right after this short break. If only you weren't so wishy-washy. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and even here in Seattle, warmer, sunnier days are on their way. So it's time to fuel up for them and meet your wellness goals with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Thanks to Factors' menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, or my favorite, Vegetarian, Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So what are you waiting for? Kickstart that new healthy routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week so you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can crush those wellness goals with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make everyday delicious from breakfast to dessert with restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. With no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. 
With Factor, you enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle, choosing from six menu preferences that help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 as in Broadway Nation 50, and you'll get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do it today. Let's get to the why, a little bit more of the why. Why do we love this art form so much? What is it about the Broadway musical, musical theater that keeps you fascinated for, you know, a lifetime? I think it's... I mean, I'm a musician. I'm a composer. I'm, I've always been involved in music, but I think it's the music. And it's the way music is used. It's not like there's a band on stage and they're all playing their instruments and they're being themselves. In musical theater, the music is either actually invisible, they're down in a pit, or it's conceptually invisible. If they're on stage, they're not really there. And it's one thing to do a soliloquy and reveal your anger or your love or your some private thought. It's quite another to sing those things because the music, the instrumental music, it seeps into your brain. You can't exclude it. You can't say, go away, music. You can close your eyes, but it's there, and it gives the illusion of being inside you. So you're not looking at someone on stage making music. You yourself, your own body, is producing the music to some extent. And I think that's why, unless you just hate the music, it's irresistible because you can't shut your ears to it. You can't close your eyes to it. And it's telling you something. Music is great at expressing emotions. And sometimes the music contradicts what the people are saying, or sometimes it just tells us, like when Eliza sings, I could have danced all night. Without the music, if she just sang the melody, it would be just this lovely long line, I could have danced all night. These long notes, very pretty, but it would sound very reflective. But what the orchestra is doing is underneath that. And that is what expresses the state of her mind. That's why she can't go to sleep. Not because she's, I could have danced on it, and now I'll go to bed. You can't go to bed when the orchestra is going, and that's part of her. How would you do that in a straight play without music? She just said, I shouldn't have had that cup of coffee, or I'm too jittery to go to bed, but that doesn't make us feel it the way that does. In the most recent episode before this, I argue that musicals are realer than real, realer than a play, realer than a movie, because it can tell you all this information on different levels. That's a great example of it right there. So I actually think it's more representative of real life than other kinds of narrative are. Absolutely. I think it was Yip Harburg that said, words make you think a thought, music makes you feel a feeling, and a song makes you feel a thought. And I think that that is a pretty good formulation of what happens in musicals.
Absolutely. And I think for both of us, this interest in watching this form develop, which is what this season definitely has been about, this evolution of this initial idea. And it's still the same thing, which I think is so interesting. If you go back to the very first musicals, we looked at, you know, little Johnny Jones as an example it is recognizably the same thing as Hamilton today, yeah. even though you couldn't have two shows that are completely different. And look at the 120 years that's happened in between them and every aspect of the musical that's changed. It's still recognizably they're both Broadway musicals. Yeah. And one commonality is that in Little Johnny Jones or in Hamilton, they're singing the songs to tell the story. They're singing, you know, Johnny Jones, whether we remember it or not, is singing Give My Regards to Broadway because his friends are getting on a ship from England and he has to stay there and he's telling them. When you get back to New York, tell everybody I know that I remember them yeah. and I'm thinking about them. And I'm in kind of a pickle here in London, but I haven't forgotten. I don't know how to thank you, Flo. Anything for you, Jonesy. Then, Flo, would you do me one more favor? Sure, kid. What is it? Give my regards to Broadway. Remember me to Harold Square. I mean, you know, there is, there's a story content to it. That it's not really a salute to Broadway. It's a salute yeah. to the people who hang around Broadway. It has emotional content because of that. It has story content and emotional content. Right. Whisper of how I'm yearning To mingle with the old-time throng Give my regards to old Broadway And say that I'll be there Well, thank you, Albert. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dick. And we'll pick this up in just a very short time with season two. I look forward to it. Before we wrap this up, I just want to return for a moment to that idea of sensory abundance that Albert and I discussed earlier. As we've seen, musicals are experiences that get embedded in our psyches. We remember them forever, vividly and often in great and specific detail. And they get embedded in our emotional and physical memory as well. Our bodies and nervous systems recall how we felt when we experienced them even lifetimes later. Why does this happen? Because musicals work on so many levels at once, we use all of our senses, except maybe smell, to experience them. I believe that the key dynamic at play here is that human beings are natural-born detectives. We're naturally, instinctively drawn to figure things out, to discern what's going on, to unravel the patterns. And with a musical, our entire being is entranced by the mystery to be solved. First of all, the events, meaning, themes, text, and subtext of the story, including both the surface and hidden motivations of the characters. Then add to that the puzzles of the lyrics— and it's no coincidence that most good lyricists are also expert and enthusiastic crossword puzzle fans. We are captivated by the lyrics in a show because even as we're hearing them for the first time, our brains are tracking and admiring the rhyme schemes, alliteration, and other poetic devices, as well as the references, allusions, and metaphors. Now add the music to the mix. 
As we listen, even if we know nothing about music theory, we are still on some level analyzing the form, structure, rhythmic patterns, and harmonics of the music. And then there are the visual clues, the meanings and metaphors of the stage pictures, the dance, the movement, the set, costume, and lighting design. And throughout the entire performance, we are constantly gauging our intellectual and emotional response to the show and how our response relates to the rest of the audience and to the entire experience. Our whole being is fully engaged in trying to figure out what it all means and perhaps most importantly, what effect it will have on us. What will be the takeaways? What will we learn from this event? This is why I believe musicals are the most engaging and involving form of art and entertainment. Musicals are a total, full-body experience. They are total theater. As we stumble along On life's funny journey As we stumble along Into the blue We look here and we look there Seeking answers anywhere Never sure of where to turn or what to do I'm planning to return with season two of Broadway Nation during the first week of May. In the meantime, I invite you to catch up on any episodes that you may have missed and to follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where there's a lively community of Broadway fans and friends of the pod. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. Special thanks to today's guest, Albert Evans, KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. As we stumble along, still we bumble our way through life's crazy wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 